Hello and welcome to A Star to Steer Her By, episode 225. Ooh. I'm Chris and joining me today are... Ames. Caitlin. Jake. And... Any special guests here? Oh, uh, Carl. Hi. There Hello. he is. Yay. Hey, Carl. Hey, Carl. Sorry. Thank you. Hi. And today we will be looking at Covenant and It's Only a Paper Moon. First up in Covenant, Kira's just gotten back from services and has a talk about faith with Odo, and then she goes back to her quarters where she is visited by Vedic Fala, a Bajoran cleric who was, you know, really important to Babby Kira. He taught in the, uh, you know, shitty little cave where <laughs> her resistance cell or whatever lived or the camp or both. And he gives her a weird little crystal that goes from a wee little crystal to a big little crystal in her hand between shots. And then she's beamed away to DS9, I mean, Mpok Nor. Is that a little crystal in your hand or are you just excited to see me? <laughs> no, but who is excited to see her are the uh, Par Wraith cultists who have set up on Mpok Nor as their new base of operations. And everyone's all like, no, no, the... You see, the, the Pa-Wraiths, they're actually the true gods of Bajor, and the Master will see you soon. And, you know, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, yeah, obviously Vedek Fala's the Master, but no, dumbass, oh, it's you had no Gul-Dukat. idea. Oh, shit. This yeah, is no, exciting. if I... If I, I had, had seen, I had no clue. If I had seen this, I had forgotten it. But while that wasn't obvious to me, other things that we'll get to were. <laughs> Same. So yes, thanks to having had a pa wraith shoved up his pie hole, he is now a. He shoved Gul down the pie hole. Yeah, I, yeah well, either it's way. the pa hole. Ah! Nice, there it is. <laughs> Gul Dukat is now a true believer of sorts and is leading the the cult of the pa wraiths. And, you know, Kira's there and he's trying to convince her, you know, I'm a new man. I'm not evil. I'm the head of this religion that you think is evil. I just want to save you. Yes. Like me, this religion isn't evil. And Kira's all like, wow, you found a way to got some Bajorans to love you. How fucking you all over. Just like your mom. Oh. Uh, yeah, there's a little discussion of mom, which is creepy. And, you know, it comes out, oh, uh... There's this one couple, you know, there's a babby on the way. It's like, yeah, she was given his special blessing. So she and Kira's like, oh, so he controls, like, who can and can't have kids? And it's like, well, you know, limited resources and blah, 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 cult, yada, yada. And about now, you might be thinking, this babby's probably gonna look like him, isn't it? And uh, hey, sure enough, when the babby is born, it is a little gray thing with, you know... Little ridges around the eyes. And it's just, it's a wee little foot in, um, what's her name, part two. ZL. Yes, ZL part two. I thought the Or that, part the five, depending on if you count the actors or characters. So many I think ZLs. the baby honestly just looked more Cardassian than anything. Well, either way. And, uh, you know, everyone's like, uh... And Ducat's like, it's a miracle! And, like, pretty much the whole cult is like, that makes sense. <laughs> Although you can see in the husband's eyes, kind of like, does it? Uh, the husband, by the way, has been painting this awful portrait. Of <gasps> I loved it. I want one. <laughs> I mean, it looks 
it, it's well done, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, grandizing Ducat. Felt very Make America Great Again. So then, you know, cut to Ladyface in an airlock. Great place to, to meet. My with, best with, rendezvous are in airlocks. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like, did not think this through. Ducat shows up and she's like, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't sure if it was yours or not. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. And Well, no, but he was like, why didn't you tell me it was my baby? And oh, she's right. like, how the fuck was I supposed to know? Yeah, or at was... least that's what I would have been thinking. Yeah. Like last I checked, you don't just find out you're pregnant and go, oh yeah, I know exactly whose baby this is too. Yeah. I mean, if you've been fucking two people, which she obviously Yeah, and was. they don't yeah. have medical shit on this station because they're running by the skin of their teeth at this point. I feel like a tricorder would be able to tell you all this. Yeah. Like anyway. It's the future. Um, so, you know, he's like, well, you know, I, I had a moment of weakness. Paul rates are forgiving me, yada, yada. Anyway, time to space you. So he goes to space her, but luckily for her, she clings to like the side of the airlock enough that she doesn't get sucked out. Pressure equalizes and she, yeah, pressure equalizes and she collapses. And luckily Kira and, uh, was it Fala? Probably Fala. We're looking for her anyway. They find her just in time. She's alive. Ducat's like, oh, fuck. And he goes to like pray to his little Pa-Wraith fucking altar. He's like, what do I do? And then he decides, I know what I'll do. Jonestown it. Yay. So everybody's lining up to poison themselves. One or two people look vaguely like, ah, but are still like, eh. And then, you know, they're all getting ready to take the kill pill. Kira has broken out of her quarters and tackles Ducat from a balcony. And he goes scrambling for his pill because their bunch have gone everywhere. And Kira's like, wait a minute. Aren't they all the same, Ducat? And oh, fuck, Ducat was going to let himself live. But weirdly, he still seems to be a true believer, which is bonkers. He beams away. The cultists are all like, what the fuck? The Vedic takes suicide pills anyway, because like, well, we're not entirely sure. End of episode. Yeah. So old Gulducky's got a special kind of kooky. Well, he's got a special kind of religious, and so much of the religion talk in this episode is so strange, because it's basically Kira being the biggest hypocrite and being like, the Paul Wraiths aren't gods, and and Dukat saying, the the prophets, but if the the Paul Wraiths aren't gods, what are the prophets, Kira? Explain that, Kara. <laughs> well, they're not gods. They're demons. <laughs> it's very silly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the whole Pa Wraith cult thing seems to be based around, uh, which I think what's good is it makes it make a little more sense why people would follow them. But like one of the main tenets is like, if the prophets actually gave a fuck about us, why did they let the occupation happen and suffering? And, you know, apparently the Bajoran answer to that is the Christian answer to, you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? It's an unknowable plan. The prophets work in mysterious ways and they like to bang Joe Sisko. Yeah, I mean, the real lesson is that, you know, they are aliens who generally don't give a fuck. But if you happen to be in their house and are like, hey, could you get rid of this fleet for me? They'll go, I guess. Yeah, and I guess, I I mean, are we so sure that Dukat isn't right? Because... Like, Dukat is always right. It does seem like the, the prophets are kind of dickheads. And, you know, honestly, we haven't seen all that much from the Powerwraiths other than... Taking over Keiko and Jake. And Jake. But, you know. And Ducat. Um, I mean, 
they aren't very nice either. So I say fuck all of them. Yeah, that Fair. works. Blow up the wormhole. I mean, yeah, like I mean, I, I I can think like the prophets are are shitheads, but also like what little we have seen hadn't been great. You know, it's been like I'm gonna you know take over this woman and threaten her life to get back at my enemies. You know, it's uh, I'm gonna take over this kid to have a Dragon Ball Z fight. Uh, I'm gonna take over this lizard man and kill this woman because she happens to be in a room. Like at the very least, neither of them seem you know, like one is more actively dickish and one is like dicks in that they could do more but don't. Yeah, we don't really yeah. bring up that. So Kira is talking with Ducat, who has gone full. I believe in the paw wraiths by now because one of them inhabited me once, and that was cool. But Kira was once inhabited by a prophet once, and I don't know if we ever really hear much about if that had any lasting effects. Yeah, you think she would have brought that up? I thought in so. Her I was, there was a moment with him. when I was like, Kira too, though. You guys can bond over this. It'd be hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, obviously, I think all the the thing mm-hmm. is, K- K- Kira was already pretty faithful, so I imagine it wouldn't have a huge like. It'll just reinforce what's already there, yeah. as opposed to like you know, Galducky, who's like now just out of his fucking tiny tree. Yeah, probably just one more orb experience for Kira. <laughs> yeah, in some ways. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like you know, for Kira, it was transcendental and beautiful. For Galducat, it was the most outstanding orgasm of his life, and he's going to be chasing that dragon for the rest of time. Yeah. And it's it is another way for him to get power, which is what it always comes down to. I I really I think we should praise Mark Alemo for how for how. uh, Yeah. And especially for how compelling he makes Dukat, even though at this point we know all his shit, like nothing, nothing that he does is a surprise at all. No, Kira, Kira outright states it throughout the episode. And she knows his his all his deals, too. Like, that's what's so satisfying about this to me. Like, in in a way, this is kind of like Kira sort of gets to win the debate that you never can win, that you always want to win with Mm. people. And like, you know, to 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 draw sort of MAGA parallels, like, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of Christians who are horrified that the uh, religious right has gone so far MAGA to the extent that some think that Trump is like chosen by God. Mm-hmm. And this is I mean, this is it. This is this is the most straight ahead drama on that, that yeah. I've seen. Oh, God, it's tangentially related. I hated their red earrings. Yes. Oh, because like. I'm sure the real ones are probably plastic, too. Real, The other ones are probably plastic, too. But, like, they're able to paint them in such a way they look metallic. These look like they came out of a goddamn supermarket, like, yeah, like quarter bubble. Like, they just look chintzy and cheap. And, like, I wish they'd done more to make them look like something other than the plastic they clearly were. Yeah. It was kind of, like, it was super distracting, especially Ducat's, because it stood out against his gray skin more than it mm. stood out against any of the human skin tones. Yeah, but he's going to, like, when he tore it out, it, like, he tore his ear. Did he? Um, yeah, he's going to need to get some plastic surgery to patch that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, it's a joke for the future. You'll get it next week, Caitlin. Yeah. I, okay. I w- I will say, uh, and I, I appreciate getting the chance to, to talk about a Kira Ducat episode very much, but like the way trajectory this sends Ducat on for the rest of the series is totally fascinating to me. And what we get in the 10 part finale is so, I, I, I don't know, I, I think people love and hate it, but I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. And it all starts here. 
Nice, nice. No, no spoilers, but nope. I'm very excited. Because yep. I think like the really exciting thing about Dukat in this episode is that the the, the writer specifically include, included that scene where he's praying to the paw wraiths just for him. Like there's mm -hmm. no yeah. one around to be showing off for. He's doing it because he believes. And I think it's implied an awful lot that he decides to heaven's gate everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of wonder if the paw rates told him. Yeah, they're, they're who knows? They're a weird bunch. I mean, because the thing is, like, if they want to build this cult, like, well, this cell isn't going to work. We got to start over, but we'll need this guy. Mm. But yeah, no, you're right. I had the same thought. It's like they're pulling out. It's like pulling out, pulling away. You know, the shots growing wider. And it's like, this isn't for anyone. Yeah, no one's here. This is mm -hmm. weird. He I mean, doesn't have to do this unless he wants to. See, I don't know. Holy I don't think shit. I don't think the Pa Wraiths really need worshippers. Like, I don't think, I think Dukat needs worshippers. The Pa Wraiths yeah. need people to just possess. need Dukat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they need someone to kind of do their bidding. And, yeah. you know, if, and if Dukat can, like, create this cult of personality around himself that he's always wanted, that's a bonus for him. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I think what it comes down to is, like, they need, they clearly need agents in the world in, in a way that the prophets don't, possibly mm. because they're in the fire caves or whatever and their abilities are limited. Yeah, they need someone to help So them. it's like, all right, easiest way to get people is to, like, make a little cult. This guy, like you said, Jake, it's like, this is perfect because this guy wants Bajorans to love him. We'll set him up as our purple thing. Purple so, thing? Yeah. Purple. purple thing. Purple, Our purple, purple, purple leader. <laughs> purple people leader? That's the yeah, one oh, you said? Except they're not purple. Damn. But yeah, no, I think you're right. That They probably don't actually give a fuck about being worshipped, but it's a means to an end in this scenario. Itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, yellow polka dot bikini. <laughs> yes, that's what he wants Kira to wear. Linguini. That's going to be the new... Fettuccine. You know, the Heaven's Gate people had like, you know, the Nike Nikes. trainers and, and whatever, and, and Ducat's going to have sexy thong bikinis <laughs> for the women. No, no, everyone, including himself. Mm. Oh, that's all right. Kira reminded me a lot of Princess Leia in this episode. Just just in terms of, like, she she is powerless in being abducted, but she has the power of, like, not giving a shit. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of saves herself a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I love, just as a detail, I love, like, the space heaters. Just did a lot to say that the they didn't have a lot of power. And then at the end, mm. she realized, oh, yeah, I can escape. Space heater. Yeah, it was a nice, like, continuity thing. You know, they, they established the space heaters earlier. Like, at first, it's kind of like, okay, what are these things? And then, you know, just very subtle, they had her, like, hold her hand over one to warm it. And it's mm. like, okay, now I get it. Those are space heaters. And then to tie it back later with the escape, I don't know. I think that, that, that was good continuity and good, like, setting that up throughout the episode, I Yeah, because Terok Nor is, or Empok Nor, Empok Nor, Nor is still kind of shit and full of all those people garrick killed <laughs> yes yes oh yeah oh yeah they had to like mop up so much oh. human remains from the carpet mm, i forgot about that well impact nor has like a self-cleaning you know sort of like the like a stove that was one mm. of the things the the cardassians <laughs> built in so he probably called the cot just ran that before he started his cult there no actually it's just uh he activated the rumbas <laughs> just a the fleet of rumbas <laughs> Yeah, little Cardassian Roombas. They got a spoon on them. 
Um, in fact, they are just spoons. It's also like a Kivon somewhere, just like still spazzing oh, right. out in a, oh, yeah. in a hallway. Oh yeah, that was also in Pugmore. Oh Moore. no, Poor the fucking Kivon. the Wayun thing. The, um, Vorta. Vorta, thank you. Yeah, I forgot about him, the poor reanimated fellow. Imagine being the person that stumbled across that nightmare. Right. Because, like, by now, it's probably, He's like... probably decaying. But uh, what if it was, like, just decayed enough that it was horrifying looking, but not decayed enough that it's collapsed? No. So it's just, like, it's like, just zombie like a about. zombie. Every time it lands, it's not such so much a solid thud as a... Right, I'm glad we're making this noise. <laughs> well, it, I mean that's good radio anyway. I'm not, sure who it's, I'm not sure who it's yeah. good for, but it is good. I, I love to classic Star Trek. Well, it's science fiction in general. You know the place isn't quite working because it's on its side in scare quotes. Mm. Oh, that was like, funny. Yeah, the establishing shot. It's always just like off kilter, even though there's no up in space. I mean that's that's how you know it's 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 the bad Deep Space yeah. Nine. I did like the addition of that little like. Proto Nebula with the Babby Star in it. That was a nice little just touch. Mm. Like, oh, that's nice. So the whole the whole setup. So they say that they get a Gem Hadar. You know when when the when Odo and Cisco and and Curly are kind of trying to do a research how this happened. They're like, oh, there's a transporter trace here. It's from the Gem Hadar. It's a it's a Dominion thing. And oh, how, they can beam farther than us, and they're like, "Yeah, they can beam three light years." And I'm thinking, like, wait a minute, three light years is not very far in like no. that's like what not like, in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, like, and she was beamed directly to Empok Nor. It appeared like she just disappeared from her quarters and appeared on Empok Nor. So I figure it wouldn't take too much to narrow down the list of possible places she could have gone. I mean, the thing is, what they're thinking is, they don't realize she's been sent to a station, you know, yeah, for all they know, she's been beamed to a star, yeah, which mm-hmm. has warped away in any direction. Well, oh, that's or like any planet in the vicinity besides. Yeah, but that's what's interesting, too, is um, we were talking about last time we saw Ducky, he still had his, uh, we know he still had a shuttle because he had a star, a Starfleet transporter. But now he specifically seems to have gotten access to a Dominion transporter again. So uh, he seems to have gotten himself a new ship somehow. Yeah. Or maybe, um, I don't know, was there still a Jem'Hadar ship at Empok Noor from the Magnificent Ferengi? Maybe. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they just cannibalized that for parts. It's possible. They ate Kivon. <laughs> well, he was good and tenderized. <laughs> I thought Fala was an interesting character in this. Mm. What did you all think of, of Fala? I wish we got a little more of him. Because it was kind of like they established who he was and how important he was to Kira. And they had a few conversations throughout the episode. But he did sort of mention in passing that he had become disillusioned with the prophets and joined up with this group before Dukat had even shown up. It sounds like he said not long before or after the occupation ended. So, like, he's actually quietly been one of these people for a long time. Yeah. And, and that's nobody pretty noticed of, either, it seems. Yeah, well, that's the thing. is like, the first we heard of this cult was, what, the start of this season, but it's apparently been very quietly existing the whole time, retroactively. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that, to me, is... I would like to have spent maybe just a little more time, because like, that's really interesting. Someone who it seems like was probably pretty devout losing his faith, because, you know, it's understandable. You go through what he went through in the occupation, and yeah, I could see him going like, 
Anytime, gods. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I kind of wish they'd had established that character. I, I mean, I say this a lot. I wish they had established that character before this episode. Oh, they don't have mm. a plan. The writers haven't planned any right. of this. But it would have been right. nice. Like, I know, you know, we used to have, you know, Beryl or, you know, whoever that could be a someone from Kira's past. Yeah. You know, it would have been nice if, if like, there was still a character like that that they could have just pulled out of mothballs to be like, oh, hey, Vedic old friend. Nope. The only one we've got <laughs> left is Shakar, and no right. one likes him yeah, anymore. No, yeah, well, and Shakar's <laughs> not even religious as far as I can tell, That's right? right like, yeah, probably not. Yeah, no, he's, he's yeah. Yeah, so it was definitely like, a it 3D. Would have, it would have made sense if they if they didn't kill off Beryl, it would have made, I think that would have been Ooh. a more impactful situation um but then again maybe not maybe not you know i don't know maybe a bit too much a bridge too far mm. when fala kills himself he says he just says faith and kira says i can't tell whether he 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 still had it or whether he was warning me not to not to use it and like i i, I didn't take either of that oh, yeah, from him i thought he was just filled with despair and he's sort of like either either he's got despair and he's said you know this is enough, or he is somehow hoping that even with everything that's happened, the paw wraiths will will still take him take him in. Yeah, yeah, um, something like that. Like I don't think because Kira asked like, oh, I don't know if it meant that like he lost his faith, and yeah. I don't think he did. I think because I you know a, a couple of the um, elements I've read about this episode is that he's such a fascinating character because he has so much faith in the Paw Wraiths and in Dukat that when he sees it's not all working out, all he has left now is that faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. That he kind of, like, there's no, nothing else for him to do. Exactly. He's, he's burned every other bridge, and it, it really makes things untenable for him. I also think... You know, take going back to the kind of Trump analogy, there are, you know, yes, Ducat has now been shown to be a charlatan. At the same time, I think that there are still people, and you know, that are the still true believers that despite being shown to be a charlatan and despite being shown to be duplicitous and an asshole, are still going to drink the Kool-Aid. There are you people know, who liter like literally a charlatan and an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got to believe this is, in Trump terms, this is the rough equivalent of, like, the night after the, the storming of the Capitol, where, like, for 24 hours, Lindsey Graham is willing to say, okay, you've gone too far. And then, you know, pr pr probably he could have won some of them back if he'd, if he'd stuck around. But it's, you know, it's, it's just too much in that one moment. Yeah, but I think his, like... The people that are Trump fans, not like politicians, but mm -hmm. the, you know, the masses, the, 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 the small folk, you know, they are certainly still on that train. Yeah. And, you know, or at least I assume a lot of them still are from what I've gathered online. And I think that, you know, maybe if you've bought so far into a line of bullshit, even despite overwhelming evidence that it is bullshit you know it coming to that coming to terms with that and being able to to make the acknowledgement that oh yeah i was wrong might be too much and maybe i i don't know my my thought on fala is that he took the pill because even though even despite seeing everything he had just seen 
he still believed that Ducat was the emissary of the Paw Wraiths and that, you know, and that to demonstrate his faith of the Paw Wraiths, he had to, you know, shed his mortal coil. Yeah. I wonder how much of this was actually inspired by Heaven's Gate, because I just looked it up. That was only a year before. It was before. very specifically uh, inspired okay. by Heaven's Gate. Interesting. Although what's interesting, though, is it's, even though it's inspired by Heaven's Gate, I feel like it's got somewhat more in common with Jonestown, because, you know, by all accounts, his name escapes me, but the, the, the leader of Heaven's Gate, you know, was not full of shit like he really yeah, no, he went with him he really believed it he was going on that spaceship whereas yeah. like and i mean yeah jim jones also went on the spaceship but like you know i feel like there there was a difference between like jim J- jim jones is much more of a ducat figure yeah than the heaven's gate guy in the I sense also that think it, it was a cult of personality there's a lot more fucking in jim jones cult whereas I don't think there, there seems w- to have been some fucking in Gil Ducats. Are you talking about the other one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think Heaven's Gate, they. Is that know, the one where the men Gate actually almost- castrated themselves, or is that a different one? Well, here's the oh, thing most cults, even if you're telling the people in it that they need to, like, cut off their balls and not have sex, you're doing it because you want to fuck their women and take their money, probably. And I feel that tends to be a lot of cults, is that the people who start it are like. Yeah, you should turn over your property and your wife to me. And yeah, but again, like the I Heaven's Gate guy was weird. He seemed to actually like buy his it? own weirdness. Interesting. Um, he was a '90s cult leader. Yeah. yeah, very enlightened. I mean, they had a cool website. That, as far as I <laughs> Did know, they? Well, still, still do. They uh. still do. Yeah, there was a. Th- I was reading a thing about how one member, two or two. Okay, yeah. So a couple of members were, you know, got. Were, were nominated to basically stay behind so that they could maintain the website in, in perpetuity. And oh, answer wow. media inquiries. Yeah. So, so like, Whoa. you know, the, the, you know, the ironic thing, right, is that they are obviously the lucky ones, but in their opinion, they're like, man, how do we get stuck with this fucking job? Yeah. Everybody else is up in the fucking comet that partying with the aliens. And, and it's also we their, are. It's their job to maintain the website but not alter it. So the website is still a 90s An Angel website. Fires page. Yeah. Oh, snap. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty Excellent. special. I've I, I've forgotten. The- Oops, sorry. No, if you're, if you're still going, go ahead. Let me say that I, I had forgotten until Jake mentioned it, which is sad because when I saw the episode, I thought, oh, wow, that's just too perfect. The fact that Ducat you know, refers to himself as the emissary of the power wraiths. You know, because again, it's like he wants the Bajorans to love him. He wants to be better than Cisco. It's just he likes it when you call him master. Yeah, ugh. yeah, that was weird. Yeah. It's like, where is this coming from? Everyone I mean, has to take a vow of abstinence, except when when Ducat says otherwise. Well, let's be fair. Didn't say you had to abstain. You just gotta wear a rubber. Oh, they really? Said no they said births. vows of abstinence, didn't they? They, they, they may have, I possibly I think so, missed it. yeah. What yeah, happens do, yeah. if any of your members are Vulcans and they hit Ponfar? I, I don't know hmm. if you had Vulcan members. Like, I'd be very surprised if there was a Vulcan member of the Pa Wraith cult. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's not very logical. Yeah. But if there were, you're just like, you know what? I, we're just gonna, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. And he tries to kill all of us. Yeesh. Yeah, how about that poison he had, though? The, uh... Oh, yeah. That was a, you know, 
that's another good a good seeding of things by the writers. I think it you looked know, like a be, spree. Yeah, it did kind of look like a spree. I thought, yeah, or like a, a mint, tart. some kind of mint or something. <laughs> but the, you know, they seeded the idea that oh yeah, you'll it'll kill you painlessly and quickly, and then within hours your body will be turned to dust. Yeah, which you know later comes back with Kira's like oh yeah he was planning to take you know eat the mint you know and then fuck off and then you know probably leave a pile of his clothes mm-hmm. somewhere just like to make them think yeah. that he had actually done it and gone through with it and really yeah. he's just running around naked somewhere <laughs> it's actually what it is it's 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 not even actually his clothes it's a set made to look like one of his sets of clothes but they're actually for like a beefier man with a bigger hog <laughs> Why are you talking about his hog? Yeah. Why? Because I just feel like Galdicott's one of those guys who want people to think he has a bigger dick than he did. But surely having a lot of extra fabric that doesn't show anything doesn't help to give that impression. I mean, it's Galdicott. He's not thinking this through. You don't. Just know. a massive cod piece. There you go. That's that's how to go. Call up Chris O'Connell from like Batman and Robin and. Get that shit. He's actually just, you know, that's what it is. In the pocket, there's just a bunch of uh, bananas, just extra, extra Cute large numbers. condoms. Yeah, a bunch of bunch, bunch of monster condoms for his. Oh yeah, that dong. too. Are they well, monster monster energy condoms? Yes. You know what surprises me though that in the suicide scene, he was looked like he was pretty much ready for his uh, his child to take the the, the pill, mm. which surprises me. Yeah. The whole yeah, one. A great, a great family man like Ducat. It is shocking. Yeah. Well, he was going to kill Zial that that one time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I, one was, time. I was being very I sarcastic. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I feel like by the end though, like Zial's death was kind of his unraveling. So maybe he's just. You think just... it was her death or the fact that uh, what's his ass betrayed him? Like, mm. do you think it's more? Oh no, my lovely daughter, or oh no, someone disrespected me enough to do this. Well, that, the thing is, he didn't have time to get attached to this one. Mm. That's true. He had time to get attached to Zial. He only had time to be surprised by it and make up, th- think up a lie and think it up quick. Oh, man. And this one, I have, I've read some excellent stories about the baby in this fucking episode. Because there are many, many, many rules about having a baby actor. Mm. Most of them are time related in that you can only shoot with them for like 20 minutes at a time for like like an hour total in your whole day so you really have to schedule around the baby and also that you can't put all these prosthetics that you want on its stupid baby face so they decided (laughs) what a waste not go (laughs) let's not go the baby route they contacted the doll makers who made chucky yes that one to make Uh. them a doll that looked half Cardassian, half Bajoran. It was Smart. way too big. <laughs> it was bigger than a baby should be. And when they did the scene with Dukat, like walking around, carrying the baby, it looked so bad that they said, no, we cannot use this. We, no, please, God, no. Dear prophets, God, help us. <laughs> they We did all of it with just, you know, a bundle of blankets and had Ducat walk around with a bundle of blankets and said, okay, we're going to have a baby, like a real one, in like literally a two-second scene. Just show the face, show that it has a little bit of shit on the face that we just stick there and take, take right off. And then we're done thinking about this goddamn fucking baby. <laughs> I really hope... That the terrifying baby now lives on a shelf in um, <laughs> Bluebeard's house. Who? What's his name? Berman? 
No, no, Irish Bluebeard. Stephen Bear. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Irish Stephen Bear. Oh. <laughs> you say Bluebeard, and I think pirate, Chris. No, well, I know. Bluebeard is the guy that murders all his wives. That's Bluebeard, isn't it? Wasn't he also a pirate? I don't think so. That's Blueberry. No, that's. <laughs> That's he murders all cere- of his wives. That's, that's a breakfast cereal you're thinking of, Jake. Mm. That's why all the breakfast cereal mascots are men. Because Blueberry killed all their wives? No, no, he, he married and killed each of the female ones. Okay. Alright, I guess I accept your, I accept your theory. <clears throat> I also loved when they were all, like, mad that Ducat wasn't going to take their sweet tart. And it looked like the guy holding the baby so was going to throw his... <laughs> throw it at him. Film. And then I was like, he's going to throw the yeah. baby at him. Yay! Yeah. yeah. That made me happy. That moment, too, like, it's like the thought is suddenly dislodged from the, like, prison of his mind. Like, it's been there the whole time. But he's, he's but it's like he vomits up that thought. Like, this uh, isn't this is my baby. Yeah. This is my baby. I'm suddenly deciding that right now. Out the airlock it goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, the fact that that guy was buying it for as long as he appeared to be buying it. I, I don't think he really did. Like, I think in his heart of hearts, he knew. Yeah. Do you guys know, I feel like I mentioned this to you, but it made me think of that there's a Jim Gaffigan skit where he's talking about how, you know, like, what must it have been like for Mary to explain to Joseph <laughs> about how she yeah, was yeah, suddenly yeah. pregnant? And she's like, so, you know how we're pregnant? We've never had sex. And Joseph's <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, you know, she's like, well, last night uh, an angel visited me and now I'm pregnant. And like, he's, you know, Jesus Christ. And she's like, oh, you've already heard about it then. Like this whole thing. <laughs> anyway, I'm butchering it terribly. Listen yes. to what is it from? Fuck you. Don't say yes. Is that from King Baby? No, it's from like the first one. Pale, yeah, it could be Beyond the Pale. Beyond the Pale. Yeah. Anyway, listen to that. It's much funnier than me. But it made me think of that scene very much because it was sort of like a he definitely knows this is not his kid, and he's definitely like, yeah, it's a sign from the pr- pr- the paw wraiths. Yeah, sure it is. Yeah. You made me think of, uh, there's this old episode of the Dick Van Dyke show, and uh, they're Where telling- Dick Van Dyke's wife has a baby with Gold Ducat? Not exactly. Oh. But they're, it, they're, they're telling Richie about not his birth, <laughs> and uh, about the fact that they got paranoid that he'd been swapped with someone else's kid. Because there was another family with a very similar surname, like at the same time in the in the postnatal suite or whatever you call it. And there's this whole thing. They're all freaked out. They find her. They get in touch with the family. And they're like, I think I think we have your kid. And the end of the episode is, you know, there's a doorbell. They're like, all right, they open the door and it's a black family. And they all just laugh. You know, I think we got we did not get each other's kids. You know, there's an interesting bunch of old uh, records of America Online conversations with the writers of Deep Space Nine on uh, Memory Alpha. Hmm. And it's kind of fascinating historically, especially as it comes to Ducat, because it really it, it really reminds you what a hard sell a character this horrible was to some sci-fi fans of the time. Because I, I don't think they were used to this amount of sort of character work of like... he. Like, a lot of people were having troubles with, like, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. He hates the Bajorans, but he wants them to thank him? That doesn't make sense. 
And Ronald D. Moore just sort of politely again and again is like, no, no, no. We think we think he is so deluded that he wants the Bajorans to be uh, thankful to him for for his uh, abuse. And, you know, today, I mean, I think today you could just say, you know, obviously, you know, he has a savior complex. He has a, a Cardassian savior complex. But, you know, this sort of character work in sci-fi in the 90s was not really done that much on Star Trek. And it's it's kind of I sort of feel grateful for these for this Gul Dukat. Every Kira Gul Dukat episode adds something mm-hmm. to Star Trek that is not was not there previously. Yeah. And definitely. it's definitely it is really thoughtful for a show that for for thirty years had been about you can fix societal ills through technology, you can cure poverty like you can cure a broken leg. And what's missing for that is, you know, is is oppression, is subject subjugation. And you know, you know, Kira and Ducat have a relationship, but they will never, you know, you know. I think pr- prior to this, you might a, a Trekkie might believe that someday they could both hold hands and like <laughs> skip in the fields singing tra la la. But like the, you know, the thing that they get is that at the end of the episode, Kira gets to go home. And Ducat is not in charge of her or her people anymore. And that's, you know, that's the improvement. That's the optimistic future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, have a, I have a great quote that I really love from uh, the director, John Kretschmer, who says, Kira and Ducat are locked together like two cats in a bag. Yes. <laughs> and I think that is perfect. That is so perfect. Yeah. Because she also, she can't either let it alone either. Like she's, she's too, she's too invested to not at least get, uh, get in her, his face a little bit, even though she knows it's not, she's not going to convince him. And she, and she just, you know, I love, I love stuff. She says like, you know, oh, I can be discreet. Yeah. (laughs) Discreet Kira. Um, I know at the top of the episode, she's talking about, oh, I just came out of a, out of a, the, Bajoran chant night uh, where we talked about forgiveness and I yes. said, oh, because Kira is so forgiving. Exactly, exactly. Great. This is, this is paying off already and I love well, it. Well, that's why they have to have hours and hours long, you know, services about it because Kira is like, okay, but what if yeah. your people were oppressed by this one oh, yeah. dude for like decades? If yeah. Odo went to those services, he would be bored out of his mind and would just be a puddle the whole time and say, fuck all this. I don't know. I was actually <laughs> curious about why she didn't just say to him, like, you're so interested in my services why don't you just come one time because he would insist on asking questions <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> but if he did get bored as Ames suggests he could just shapeshift himself into his eyes being open <laughs> and paying attention and then just like do whatever type of soupy hibernation Odo's species can do he actually, uh, he's, he just creates a shell of himself sitting in there and then there's a smaller him inside playing a Game Boy a really tiny Game Boy. <laughs> yes. That is also made of himself. Or is it? Did he just hide it in subspace? Who knows? Well, I'm asking you. I'm letting it be up to you. The rules with Odo are very complicated. I love Odo. Um, but what I've noticed, actually, and I complained about it frequently while we listened to this week's episodes, is I've noticed that this se- this season so far, Odo hasn't really gotten any play whatsoever like oh, that's true now that he's in a relationship yeah he doesn't get to develop anymore 
It's actually kind of funny, to be honest. Like, it's almost like what you would expect them to do to, like, a woman character once she is married. Like, when people talk about, oh, you know, when Santa Claus is coming to town, like, you know, at first Jessica is, like, a freedom fighter with them and trying to do anything, and then she gets married to Santa Claus and she doesn't say another fucking word the rest of the show. It doesn't have a single line. that's true. She's got, like, 15, 15 minutes of show wherein she does not speak. So I just feel like Odo is getting that... And it's like, okay, Odo has a girlfriend now, so Odo gets to have a stupid little quip at the beginning of an episode or say shit like, oh, I wish I believed in anything. I could go to church with Kira. And that's all. It's like, he's always like, Kira has such great faith. I would like to go to church with Kira. Oh, I'm just ordering Kira some wine. Oh, I'm doing this for Kira. It's like, dude, Odo, remember when you were a character? (laughs) And I guess, but I guess like that's the problem is that this is the problem of will they, won't they? Well, yes, they will. It's like, well, that was one of the compelling and interesting things about his character was watching him have these like, you know, human-esque feelings for other humanoids, but not knowing how to act on them. And now that he, you know, we know that he will, the won't, the will they, won't they is out the window. It's just kind of like, eh. Anything else? You gonna yeah. raise I, any more goopy babies or anything like that? I think for now he is taking it easy. You know, mm. I think I think he sort of feels like he won the lottery with Kira. And like you know, sometimes well, he's, sometimes he's right. Yes. I mean. Absolutely he's right. And you know, sometimes you just you just wanna take it easy a little bit and like not not uh just enjoy where you are for for a time. Okay, well uh, I, I like but I hope that he, as I hope a... he comes back. Yeah, I was going to say, I like that as an Odo as if he were a real person type of explanation. But Mm. since I know him to be a character being written by people, I just feel like the people who write him are being lazy and fucking him up. And it makes me sad. So I don't know. No plan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it be... well, it's just, there's just not much left. You know, it's like we're halfway through season two or seven rather at this point, And I'm just like, where's my Odo? No more good Odo stories. That's a good so. point. I mean, it, it would be interesting to know more about how a shapeshifter, non-shapeshifter relationship operates. Like, I'm sure they have a bunch of, yeah. I was going to say, all, all the scenes they wrote were declared uh, inappropriate <laughs> for network television. Or Deep Space Nine after that's, dark. That's the real porno- problem. I know por- pornography when I see it. That's <laughs> pornography. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I uh, Like, if it was a, if it was Deep Space Nine, if it was Mass Effect Nine, Deep Space Nine, we would definitely know all about... What type of genitals she has, what kind of genitals he has, and what kind of balm or aftercare they need to make sex between their species work. But it's Deep Space Nine, so I guess we're just assuming heterosexual uh, missionary. I don't know. Tentacles everywhere. Mm-hmm. No, there's mm-hmm. no tentacles. So I suppose he could have tentacles. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I, yeah. I'm sure someone has explored this in great detail on uh, AO3, so... All right, this is getting weird. Do we have any more thoughts on Covenant, or shall we shift Speaking gears? Speaking of tentacles everywhere. What? <laughs> okay, oh. well then I'm going to shift. Wait, Carl. Unless- I was, I was going to say uh, just about Fala. Uh, Fala is the name of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's dog. And I, I don't know... Sar. I don't know if that's... I just believe there's enough like presidential history geeks on that writing staff that that wasn't a coincidence. And I, I don't know what it means, but I like that it, it like it kind of makes him seem more uh, more of a of a toady uh, a little bit. Well, yeah, she's literally the lap dog of uh, yeah. Gul- yeah, Gul- there Gul- you Gul- go. She said, making the subtext text. 
was was Roosevelt the one who like who who was it that had like a major stroke and then his wife ran the country for a while? Was that Roosevelt? Or was no, that, that was. I think that's Wilson. Wilson, yeah, you're right. Roosevelt oh, well. was the one who had polio and basically managed to hide it from the country. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like he was never photographed in his wheelchair and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I, I think I read somewhere that at Yalta, Roosevelt's dog could would not stop humping Stalin's leg. <laughs> yes. So th- there's your connection. Is that true? There you go. So no, did Vedic Fala. I just made that. <laughs> there were no dogs allowed at, at the Yalta conference. That's no. too bad. Churchill hated them. Really? No. Never listen to Jake. It, Jake. <laughs> Churchill didn't hate dogs. He hated the Indians. See, I'm now I'm going to go around like, yeah, you know, Churchill really didn't care for dogs. <laughs> were we trying to segue a little while back? We segue. were. I suppose. Here it is. The segue. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Next up, brought to you by Potsy, It's Only a Paper Moon. What's Potsy? Uh, Richie, Richie Cunningham's, Cunningham's best friend. friend in... Happy Days. He he directed this episode. So I, I don't... Okay, oh. sure. The guy who I directed this you. episode had a recurring and important role in Happy Days. Yes. That's all. And he oh. actually, and the it turns out... he played was called Potsy. Yeah, and when I looked him up, he actually... He directed the first Augments episode. And we'll be directing four episodes of Voyager. Oh, look at that. You say Potsy, and I assume it's a delicious snack. No, nope, It does nope. sound tasty. It I don't is... know what it would be, but I would eat it, mm. for sure. So, in It's Only a Paper Moon, Nog has finally been let back to DS9 after spending several months on some other station getting surgeried and psychoanalyzed and physical therapied for the leg he lost at AR-558. And they want to throw a party, and he's like, I just want to go to bed. And it's like, yeah, guys, seriously, leave the poor bastard alone. He is using a cane, even though all medical tests say his pain receptors aren't firing, but he's like, my leg hurts all the time. And we, you know, we've been talking a lot about Star Trek and psychology lately, so, oh boy! One thing that sort of brings him any kind of peace is Vic Fontaine's rendition of, um, oh shoot, which was it? See you again or something? Yeah, it's something like that, yeah. Anyway, so he plays it incessantly in their room, his and Jake's quarters, and Jake finally snaps and is like, if you want to hear this song, go to the damn hall of suite. And Nog goes, hey, Starfleet regulations say I can spend my medical leave wherever I want. So he goes to Vic, listens to Vic sing the same song 15 different ways, and is like, can I stay with you? And Vic's like, uh, can I crash sure, Pally? Sure, Pally. Yeah. And he crashes with Vic for a while and starts to really enjoy himself. And at first, Esri pops by and is like, yeah, all right, we'll see where this goes. You know, in one of his cleverer moves, Vic gives Nog this crazy lion cane that has a lighter built in. But also, the real key is he can't put his full weight on it. And, it's uh, kind of fragile. Yeah, and he, he admits, I don't need to put my full weight on it. And he sits around living the Vegas life, but he's still not necessarily getting better. You know, one night Jake drops by with his latest Bajoran girlfriend, and, you know, she's like, oh, wow, you're a hero. And he's like, that's the last thing I want to hear. I have the PTSD. And then she's staring in his lap, and he's like, oh, you're wondering which leg it is. Whereas in reality, she was probably wondering, you know, are Ferengi as well endowed as I've heard? Jesus. Uh, yes. And he flips out. Punches Jake. Vic's like, go to my room. And, you know, they leave. And Vic's like, all right, look, you gotta stick around, but calm down. And then there's been this kind of running thing about Vic talking about his books. And finally, Nog's like, let me take a look at him. I'm a Ferengi. 
I can't believe it took that long for them to get to the... Like, because he, he complains about the books the first time he's there. Yeah. And, it, you know, I just feel like any Ferengi worth his lobes would be well, all he over was still, it the first he's time. Got, he's in pain. That's yeah. true. That's true. You're right. So he starts looking at the books between watching old movies on Vic's TV. Before long realizes Vic is apparently loaded. They start planning an expansion. They're going to build a casino. Hollow and, loaded. <laughs> yes, hollow loaded. Hollow loaded. Uh, you know, he's, so he's loving it. Vic is like on all the time and actually living a life and enjoying it. And, you know, eventually Vic kind of loses focus on the goal. And Esri drops by and is like, wow, look at him. He's getting confident. He's getting better. He'll probably be able to leave soon. And Vic's like, ah, oh, right. Leave. Uh, ooh, Pally. Ah, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> How many more songs can I sing you, Ezra, before you leave? Yeah. Eight. And I mean, eventually it does work out to the point where Vic's like, you know what? I'm, I, you know, I've, I've lost sight of this. I'm, I'm keeping you here when you really, you, you could live a real life. I mean, I've been having fun living my fake life, but you've got a real one. And he switches himself off because he can. After and- Aaron Eisenberg gives us some of the best damn acting. Oh yeah. Ever seen. Oh yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I know this is just the summary, but I we got to remember to get back to that because that was. Yeah. I got a story. We will gorgeous. get back to it. Good. Yeah. So and then he tries to force him back on by tinkering with the holodeck. The chief drops by. He's like, "Yeah, Vic, don't work that way." And he leaves. And there's an uncovered moment. It's like, "Wait, so is Vic actually alive?" And the chief's just like, "Oh fuck no! I, you, you and Picard can talk about that shit." I'm, I'm an even. engineer, <laughs> not a philosopher. This is too complicated. Yeah, so then Vic pops up and is like, hey, see, Pally, oh, oh, oh. Hey, hey, uh, bada bing, gabagool. Finally, Rom leaves the holodeck, forgetting his cane. Nog. Nog, I mean. Uh, there's a nice family moment with him and... Lita and Rom and... Quark. Yeah. And then he pops back, he's in uniform, he's, you know, getting back into his duty slowly but surely. And he's arranged to keep Vic switched on so Vic can... Live his leaf. Yeah. So yeah. I just thought of something. Yeah. I mean, A, all of this is a holodeck program. Yep. Like, we will talk about that because what the actual fuck is this holodeck program? But mm-hmm. Vic gives Nog this cane and says you can't put your full weight on this cane. It's a hollow cane. You could just program the hollow cane if you wanted to accept more of his weight. Fuck goddamn table well, no, flip. But, but you he could, did it on but... purpose. That part of the point of it was he was trying to get him to realize he didn't need a cane. Yeah. I'm saying, but I think Nog would an... fi- there's a way you oh, could have figured yeah. it out. Oh, well, I think Nog was very taken with the illusion. Okay. The lion was very cute. What I enjoyed too is I said, "Oh man, of course he's gonna like it. It's gonna remind him of the uh, Grand Negus's cane." And then he said, "Oh, it's like the Grand Negus's." And like, I had yeah. the same thought. Like you were literally saying what I was thinking, and then Nog was like, "Oh yeah, check this shit out." Yeah, but I love it later on because he's a total fucking pimp late, lighting, lighting ladies cigarettes with the damn thing. It was amazing. I meant to look up if that actually was a cane Errol Flynn owned because it feels like there's a halfway decent chance he could have because hmm. he claimed it was a replica of an Errol Flynn cane. <sighs> Except his is a little longer. Yes. yes. <laughs> no, I know. You meant literally. It wasn't innuendo. I remember like... I. So, like, I was not watching... So, last week, I got spoiled knowing that it was a Vic Fontaine episode because I watched the um, credits very closely and was very annoyed when I saw, like, with, you know, this guy, Darren James? James Darren. James Darren. James Darren is Vic Fontaine. So, I missed it this week. But so, he's listening to the song. 
and you know whatever and jake's like get the fuck out of here with this bullshit and i was like oh cool we're gonna go see vic fontaine and then i was like oh my god he's gonna go live with vic fontaine like i was i was figuring it out like i don't know half a step ahead which for me is pretty good and at first i was really like oh god damn it it's gonna be another goddamn vic fontaine episode he's gonna sing the whole time this is gonna be bullshit but i kind of liked the songs they picked this time because they felt at least the paper moon one like obviously that's where they got the um that's where they got the the name of the episode but it also chris pointed out like felt like it fit the theme of the episode well because it was talking about like you know if you believe in it, it's real kind of thing. Sort of the theme of that song. So I don't know. If I, you believe you have, you're experiencing pain, it's real. Or if you believe in Vic's fucking holodeck, it's real. I mean, all of yes, it. I think yes. If you believe in magic, really. you always have a friend wearing big red shoes. Mm. Oh, no, thank you. I, I think that's right. You know, when, when I asked for this episode, I'd forgotten it was in the middle of a string of like episodes where Vic Fontaine becomes the protagonist of the show. But, um, yeah. but it's the Vic Fontaine show yeah. now. <laughs> starring Vic Fontaine. And I think that the thing that is different is he has something to do. And yeah. not only does he have something to do, but it's kind of perfect because, uh, you know, he is such he is really a manic pixie dream Vic in most episodes. <laughs> um, but now now that he is he is used for therapy, he can kind of. He, you know, he can use the resources of the computer to think of stuff to to get Rom to do. And it really, like, I like this episode for the same reason I like The Voyage Home, which is it, it's a character piece mostly, but there's a lot of sci-fi questions embedded in it. You know, I mean, can, will we be seeing therapy like this and treatment Not like Esri, this? Not from Esri, that's for sure. Yeah, well, exactly. and, and so actually, though, to the... Sorry, Carl, you can... I didn't mean... No, to... I'm done. I'm done. Oh, I was just going to say, though, to the Esri point, I feel like it just feels like Troy all over again in that, hey, we actually have a therapist character now. But you know what? This mm-hmm. fucking guy who isn't even a real fucking person, I bet he has more expertise than how many years did you study brain science and psychology? It's 10 years. Oh, no, this guy definitely knows better than you. What is she, a therapist? Oh, she is. You're saying she is a therapist? Still better. Still better. Give it to Vic Fontaine. I don't know. Like, let's I, this is, let's convince Nog he's an android and then pawn him off on Data. Perfect. All of this is a great idea. <laughs> no, but like, seriously, though, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's like you actually do have someone who could be working this out. And Esri kind of like she's the one who sort of talks to Vic and Vic's kind of like, oh, you know what? Let me give it a shot. But then afterwards, she's like kowtowing and she's like, oh, you're the expert. And it's like, Esri, no, you're literally the expert. Like, she's why not. are you? Le- why she's is this happening? So not is but the problem. What I liked, too, was uh, she basically convinced Ben it was a good idea by using Ben's favorite method, which was just let's see what happens. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. The throwing science at the wall method. When she comes in and she's she's telling Vic like, "Wow, your idea is so great to get him feeling good enough that eventually he'll leave." And Vic's like, "Oh," and, and it feels like she's like reverse psychologying Vic to make sure this is the thing she makes sure he's that he's doing. Mm. But I think Esri just didn't understand, and that's actually what she thought was happening. Yeah, yeah that's, she, that's a good question. That's right. I think I she, think the latter. She for was sure. definitely giving Vic more credit than right because you watch Vic have the moment of like. My oh. idea? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ooh. that was the plan the whole time. Hey, Ooh. You know. yeah. Let's wait till we build this casino. <laughs> 
I, I tell you, I'll tell you what I, I like about Esri's decisions in this, at least, is she is always on the patient's side. That's really a good point. You know, she, she, I was starting to wonder sort of if she was the best counselor in Star Trek history by kind of by default, but, Guinan. um, go, oh, uh, Guinan, uh, can't forget Guinan. Well, as Guinan. far as yeah. was there, as far as but, ones that are actually officially Starfleet, uh, yeah, counselors, like Guinan let's say. is officially a bartender. Yeah. And mystical space lady. I feel like I feel like th- therapist 101 would at least know to let the patient take the lead and she she does that. You know, gra- she does that in a way that kind of ruins her character. That's that's a good point. But it's it's sort of I am I'm I'm still intrigued by the the possibility of like what what could happen in this. And especially considering, you know, we're we're probably like what twelve episodes away from that that weird rant O'Brien had about how ships counselors are useless? Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like at a certain point, the show said, you know, we we can't, we just can't do the horrors of war if we are going to to sort of shit on mental illness or mental, uh, you know, PTSD treatment, uh, treatment of treatment of soldiers, treatment of victims, and this is sort of an attempt to to make that happen did, how how did you all think about of Vic's kind of Vic's plans and how the interplay between them read which plans just just Vic's plans of kind of sneaking him into mental health mm. yeah i thought i mean i thought it was going i think he you know he tried the bookkeeping thing early and it just didn't like Nog just wasn't was that ready a, for that. Was he just was that just all a ploy to get Nog interested, or was he actually trying to balance his books? No, I think I think he was probably because he did the same thing with the cane, right? Like I, I think, think so it was too. All just like like okay, I'm gonna try to get this kid thinking about something other than the horror that he experienced. You know, so what what are things that will will get him out of this funk? And oh, he's a Ferengi. He probably likes bookkeeping hmm. Vic is also the only person that when Nog says it hurts my leg hurts says I believe you yes well everyone says everyone else including fucking Esri says your pain, your leg doesn't actually hurt it's all in your head yeah so here's the I thing mean, by the 24th century the only psychology is pop psychology yeah <laughs> yeah what were you gonna say Caitlin uh no I was just I don't remember. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. That's the thing is that he he has some good plans, and then he gets to be for a while and loses track of them. Mm. And again, we really just get into this question of who the fuck is the guy that programmed Vic? What is Vic anymore? Vic yeah. is. I'm pretty sure Vic's alive at this point. Like, there's no denying. I mean, if he can, like you said, if he can turn himself off and on. Yeah. The thing so is, speaking of, go ahead, uh, Ames. The thing is, he's also fully aware that everyone else that he's always serving, unless say Jake comes in with a date, everyone else is holograms. So all this this net gains he's making off of off of people coming to the to the lounge are fake people. And, and what money. kind of a life is that if he's alive? And it's it it's insane. Maybe it's absolutely say, uh, out of control. Eventually, it won't be enough for him. He's gonna have to. He's gonna try to pull a Moriarty and get the fuck out yeah. of there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, yeah. I, I said to, I said it was a joke. You know, there's a seat cut scene where he's sitting there with Nog. Like, all right, all right. 
So explain this Mr. Data to me again and the fact <laughs> that he's considered people. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's I think I think that Vic and Moriarty are the same species. They are the same type of life form. And I think probably, you know, the doctor from Voyager would also be a similar life yeah, form. Vic yeah. is just less evil. I mean, it's yeah. just you know, yeah. I mean, but I don't. I don't. It's 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 not evil or well, are not evil. I he's mean, comfortable with what he is. Yeah. Well, so is Moriarty to an extent. Well, to the Moriarty, extent that he I think, wants understand. something more, though. Well, he wants to be a real Agreed, boy. Yeah. I think. I think the thing that that they all want is autonomy. Mm. You know, and Moriarty is evil, but he's just drawn that way, right? Yeah. You know, it's well, and even he, like, really, at the end of the day, he's just asking for his freedom. Yeah. Which, that's reasonable. I think there's a huge ethical issue, you know, that started with Moriarty, and now we have it with Vic, and, you know, we're going to have it with the Doctor eventually as well, but, like... Well, what's interesting with Vic, though, is he's possibly the most advanced of the three, because his simulation, he can... If you leave him on, he gets tired, like, I feel like Moriarty and the Doctor, if you leave them on, they might get annoyed, but they're not actually going to get sleepy. Like, yeah, Vic can go Vic, to bed. Yeah, Vic Fontaine actually sleeps. And, like, there's Does even that moment. Yeah, he might. Oh. He might. I don't know. He might need to eat. You know, there's that moment where Nog says, do you dream? And he dodges the question. Oh, wow. Like... We know that it was a big deal where Data was programmed to eventually be able to. I don't know if it ever comes with a doctor. I don't remember. But, like, if he can. I feel like there's going to be a season eight plot arc where we find out that Vic Fontaine is actually a positronic brain from the future. That has, yes. that has taken over the holodeck system. Well, didn't we joke earlier that what really happened was his program somehow merged with Pup? And that's what <laughs> yes. makes him so advanced. That's good. Like, Pup wasn't purged that time. They had to purge the computer. He, like, hid in the holodeck, and now he's part of Vic. Well, listen, I'll say this. You say he's so advanced, but part of his treatment is uh, about as shitty as uh, O'Brien's that time when they're like, okay, our time's up in this holosuite. Time to just turn it off and totally traumatize the person who's using it. Like, well, that's what they did to poor adult feral... Um, Molly. Molly. Right, but like O'Brien, he's not actually a therapist. No, no, I know, but... And he realized he had begun to do more harm than good. Nog Nog pours out his heart about how scared he is, and he's just like, yeah, well, uh, tough shit, pally, uh, computer, you turn off. (laughs) Oh, cancel. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. I can't help you with that yet. Yeah. Computer, bada bing. No, you really, really fascinating thing about this episode sorry one second what the fuck did you guys do i turned on my alexa but the second time you like did it on it was like why i tried to say quietly enough that it wouldn't hear me you're loud though guys are failures Um, wow thanks (laughs) i already knew that so i'm not hurt by it no no that's not what i meant uh no but i was gonna say like the actual fascinating thing about this episode because i start reading in my big book of books and it's all like Ira Bear being like, man, this episode was was such a weird thing we did. We we had it such that none of the principal characters were like very important. It was an episode about a fairly minor character and a character who we only just recently introduced as the focal points. <laughs> but who's already were... been in more episodes than <laughs> yeah. Nog. Than Esri, too, I'm sure. Well, and yeah. they and they said this was like 
so unusual for us that it felt like we were really rolling the dice. Um, and I think it it's actually like fairly fascinating because A, Aaron Eisenberg is a fucking treasure. And B, it made the Vic Fontaine character more intriguing than he than he had been in any of the other episodes. Oh, he absolutely. did sing too much. I will always say Vic sings too much. Um, <laughs> but I at least found him interesting in this episode. Yeah, this was definitely my favorite Vic Fontaine. And uh, Chris Chris clued me in after we watched it. This was the episode that I you all had told me was like, this. no, there's this great Vic Fontaine episode. So I agree with you. This There is a great Vic Fontaine episode. And I really I really liked it. I oh, loved no, the, 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 Vic, the Vic Fontaine episode I was talking about was uh, Emperor's New Cloak. <laughs> <laughs> That's next week. Uh, what? We'll what? I haven't about seen that week. one yet. I have no idea what you mean. She uh, she liked this episode so much that we spent a while just listening to James Darren music. Yeah, oh, I was no. like, I asked, I asked Alexa if she could just play me uh, Vic Fontaine. She couldn't, but good news, there's a 1999 uh, J- Dar- James John Darren, James, James Darren, James Darren album, which seems to be Vic Fontaine sings his hits because uh, the like second to last track on it is like Paper Moon or whatever the fuck it's called. So. What was really funny when she first asked for Vic Fontaine, and it was like, I can't find the songs you're looking for, but here's... It was like, oh my god, if it says James Darren, I'm gonna shit a brick. No, I didn't But it was, it was some, just some other crap. Other, here is what it was. Dick Fountain. <laughs> oh, my favorite, obviously. Well, I think I think Eisenberg is has been really just stepping up in terms of that. What's what's great about him in this last couple of years of the show is he, you know, he has been so gung ho, and now with this, it's kind of like it's almost like if you have a kitten, and then the kitten gets into an accident, and then comes home from the vet, and it's their personality is completely changed. Mm. It's it's like that. Like it's it's you can tell so much has has happened yeah. inside his head. Well, like and he even says like he thought. You know, this all this horrible shit that's happening, happening around me, it could happen to anybody, but it's not going to happen to me. And then it happened to him. And that's yeah. pretty much like, that must be how you have to think in a war to oh, yeah. keep yeah, your she, mind if intact. You, if you think that, yeah, you're, I no, I'm definitely gonna, gonna die. Like, well, then why, are, what, what would keep you there if that's like what it's, you thought? It's interesting to look back at. What was the episode where fucking Red Squadron had their own sh- defiant, the like Valiant. a bunch of idiots? Oh. And, uh, and, Valiant? Yeah, Valiant. Yeah, that's, yeah, the that's one. right. And they got everybody killed because they were a bunch of stupid children who couldn't play war. Yeah. Um, and Nog is in the middle of that, seeing it all go wrong and seeing everybody get killed. And yet I feel like it wasn't personal for him the same way it was in Siege of a- uh, AR-558. Like well, in that one, it yeah. was more, oh... Red Squadron failed, people can die here, unless, oh god, I've j- I'm actively getting shot and losing a leg. Like, that's such a different thing, that now no, it's all of a sudden a threat to him. Yeah, and even though he didn't talk about it in this, in the Siege of AR-558, he also, like, along with losing his leg, he blames himself for the lieutenant or commander or whatever who dies during that same sequence. Because mm. it was his job to listen out and he didn't hear in time. So I think that's even though he didn't talk about it, that's part of it too. It's like mm. nothing that happened with Red Squad was his fault, really. Right. Like he went along with them, but he wasn't giving orders. He wasn't doing this or that. And like And in fact, you could argue that the only people that did survive survived because of his getting them the fuck out of there, I would say. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, nope, lost it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's so wonderful how rude he is throughout this whole episode. And like we, but we get it too. Like we, yeah. we, and one thing that I think makes Vic 
kind of effective is he does he's the only one in this who sets limits with yeah. Nog at all. Like I mean, granted, Nog, you know, physically assaulted a fellow patron, but uh, you know, you know, everyone else is sort of everyone else is sort of doing that thing where they're like they're making Nog feel guilty for not being mm. better. You know, ac- not unintentionally. Yeah. But even Vic, Lita. Even Lita. Even Lita. I was like, hmm. Yeah, but I think essentially too, like you know, what really sets him up before he even gets to the leg thing is like being called a hero. Yeah. I mean, that's the last thing he feels like. And, you know, you got to wonder, like, we do just sort of, that's what you do is, you know, someone comes back from war and they're a hero. Just, and it's like, how many people want to hear that? You know, I mean, sure, I'm sure some do and I'm sure some feel that way, but I'm sure there are many who are just like, some are just like, I just did a job and maybe they were lucky and really didn't see any shit at all. And they're just like, I spent all this time behind a desk in Germany. Who we haven't been at oh, war well, with we, in 70 we years. We don't call those people heroes. You know what I mean, though. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> we say, like, mm, thanks for your service, but... Well, yeah, know, but if you don't know just, what a person's actual service was, you know. I'm just kidding. But, I'm yeah, kidding. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, we just automatically throw this this title around, and there might be some people like, no, no, please don't. Especially when, I mean, I, I haven't seen AR uh, 550 in a while, but, but he didn't help his friend survive? Is that... So he was just, he was supposed to listen out for the, for uh, an ambush and he didn't hear it quite fast enough. So somebody was go. taken out. Yeah. That, yeah. That, he would feel guilty for that immensely. Yeah. And that's also that same sequence is when he took the shot to the leg that cost him it. So yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> I remember watching that episode. And I'm like, wait, is he actually going to lose his leg? And I was like, no, no, no. But like, is he actually, I was like, not the actor, but the, yeah. the, the character, is he actually going to lose his leg? And Chris was like. Yeah. Yeah, his leg's gone. And I was like, what? This is war. This is war. Well, I know, this but should be you know, happening I, all the time. I, like Nog, am used to, you know, my key players surviving untouched, you know? So yeah. I was like, wait, are they are they actually taking I had Nog's to say leg? yes like three times. <laughs> yeah, I did. I asked. I, I was like, no, no, but like actually? And he was like, yes. <laughs> if someone asks... If Nog is losing a leg, we you say, say yes. yes. Interesting. Yeah, I know it's also quite beautiful because apparently like a lot of veterans and people who had post-traumatic shock um, like reached out to Aaron Eisenberg afterwards and said like what a great job he did in this episode. That his portrayal was like spot on. Nice. Good for him. And again, just that emotional scene where he breaks down and expresses like the fear and like, I just, I, we've never seen anything like this from him. I mean, we've known all along that Aaron Eisenberg is a treasure and that he's a great actor. I've come to appreciate his, you know, everything about him, all the ha-has. But this- There was a good one at the end too. There was. <laughs> but kind he, of... he just, I mean, tears. He brought tears forth. I mean, from himself, also from me, but I meant his own tears. Like he was- he was on fire. It was just a really, really incredible scene. I mean, I, I hate to bring down the room, but I kind of wonder how much of that was from the fact that, like... His own pain and his own experience. I oh, wondered I have about that, too. Oh. I have the story right here. Give it to me, Ames. Because I was in, wondering about it. In the script, it's just, you know, Nog, you know, has an emotional moment. And Aaron Eisenberg, basically, in the scene, is like, no, I've got to cry. This That's the way this, this scene is going to go. Nog is going to fucking cry his fucking eyes out. And he used a memory that's a little a little scary because apparently when he was learning to drive a car and he's you know duping it duping the car and he bumped his mother and knocked her down and she was okay she ended up being fine but he bumped his mother with the car and that like the guilt of having 
bumped your mother with a car was something that like he drew a lot of emotion out of for this scene wow. and like it, it, lovely lovely work and you know, I'm yeah. glad his mom was okay yeah no me yeah, too same god damn <laughs> yeah it, just such an incredible moment yeah not bad what? for a character who started off as an illiterate ne'er-do-well yeah mm. no. yeah they built him like whoa it's it's one funny. of the most beautifully Star Trek things they've done. Like for all the people who are like, oh, they show it's so dark, it's so this. It's like, but you get like you've got this character who again starts off as just sort of a, a little ref scallion. Yeah, the first thing we see of him is him stealing shit. Yeah, like he's basically the leverage uh, Cisco uses to keep Quark on the station, and. Oh, yeah. Cisco like doesn't trust him because the one thing it's okay to be racist about in the Federation is the Ferengi. Meanwhile, his son outdoes all the Starfleet officers by being like, no, I'm going to befriend him and I'm going to help him learn. And oh, he now wants to join Starfleet for actually some like really compelling and interesting reasons. You know, it's not he doesn't have a Ferengi angle. It's I don't want to end up like my dad who could have been so much more, but the Ferengi, Ferengi society doesn't appreciate what he can bring. And it's like, you know, if nothing else, that arc embodies so much of the show's sort of core themes of, of you know, acceptance and growth and becoming better through reaching across, you know, infinite diversity, infinite combinations, yeah, yeah. all those things. It it's reminds great. me a little bit of when we were talking about how Gene Roddenberry, like, you know, put everyone in the box as a way to to heighten his humanism, his thought that humans can be so much better than they are. And that's like effectively his version of religion is look at all that humans can do. Yeah. And now it's, you know, more people. people. Look what people can do is probably the better way to put it in this world of aliens and shit. And look what Nog can do. Yeah. Nog yeah. can do so much and that's excellent. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's what makes this show Star Trek. Like you can, it, you know, it's dark. Uh, it's dark compared to like TOS, I, I suppose. <laughs> but like, you know, you know, the, the Star Trek stuff day to day fails a lot. Day to day. But over time... It it kind of works over seven years. It kind of works, and that's that's the best thing about about Deep Space Nine. Uh, for yeah, me. it's sort of the question is what happens to to this world that exists when an outside force comes in that is diametrically opposed to everything it believes in. Right. You I'll know, talk how, about Cisco that way. <laughs> <laughs> how how do you maintain in the face of something that won't sit down with you? Or will, but their only offer is you capitulate. Right. You know, like there is no compromise. There is no third path. It's you give in to us or we make you give in to us. Yeah. There are a couple, couple little things I wanted to bring up. Mm -hmm. I found it a little bit strange that after we get the intro scene of like Rom and Lita getting hyped up to see Nog again, being like, okay, we're not going to stare at the leg. Not going to do that. But it's so good that we're going to get, get to see Nog again. But then Nog goes right off to bed when he arrives. That we don't actually get a scene with father and son until, like, days have passed. Mm. Yeah. Like, where was that scene? I, I feel like we could have cut, like, five Vic songs and had a, a some kind of Rom scene in which Rom probably fucks it up because Nog mm. has been feeling bad and continues to feel bad for a while. But I feel like we needed them. 
somewhere. I don't know, because there's a part where Rom's like, my son is crazy, and I That's feel true. like he really would have done a lot of damage that yeah. would have made me really I don't, mad I don't at think, Rom. I don't think I'm Rom's the guy there. we want in that scenario. I'm usually good being mad at Rom. So. <laughs> That's the thing. Rom, I feel like maybe just would have, like, after that, when he comes in like that, probably did just be like, oh, I should probably wait. Yeah, I think I think they have a comfort level, or discomfort level with each other. <laughs> I keep forgetting that Lita is Rom's, uh, is Nog's stepmother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That hug at the end was pretty great, though. Yeah, it was a nice mm. hug. I like even, even Quark got in on it. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I like that it was a family moment. I like that Ron, uh, Quark was there. It's like, yeah, this is nice. Well, especially because, in you know, earlier on, Quark's like, oh, yeah, well, like, who's going to pay for the fucking co- the, the therapy and the hollow suites? And you're like, Quark, you prick. <laughs> So I was kind of glad that by the end he came around. I mean, it's like you said, he had to try. It's well, Quark. Well, and like I also said, though, you know, Nog said that it, he could do his therapy anywhere. So maybe at the end of it all, they get to cut Quark a check for letting them use his, him. Letting and that's him what, use that's the what I'm assuming, because like, you know, if they're going to say, oh, you can it's do like your Quark bill is insurance thing everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh yeah, I want to do it in on Risa for like six hey. years. Well, now there's casinos within casinos. It's casinos all the way down. Yeah, in I wonder Park. if Quark is going to be looking for a cut of that new casino in the holodeck. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's half the reason he decided to keep it open. Yeah, he can expand his floor space without actually expanding his floor space. Well, that, but also like he probably, if they're open 24 hours, can probably charge people like. Just like a club, like a door fee or something, mm. no matter when they go in, you know? Yeah, probably. I, I like that. Um, that is such a like positive Ferengi idea towards the end where like if someone helps you and Vic helped Nog, Nog has to re- return the favor. And I feel like he, he can't even ask what what Vic wants. He has to like just, just provide it. Um, it's the Great River. It's the Great River. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. That's so in character, I think. It's yeah. really going to suck though, like... Yeah, it's fine to be alive for, you know, a few weeks or whatever and hang out with, with Nog for a while. But eventually, Vic's going to start experiencing, like, depression, anxiety, loneliness. Yeah, well, I feel like it's a Puff the Magic Dragon situation with Vic and uh, Vic and Nog. It's the end the end of the end of Puff the Magic Dragon is that, you know, dragons live forever, but not so little boys. Mm. Um I don't know. So I don't know. Jackie Paper went and found like a fleshlight or something. I don't really know. But the point is that Puff is like depressed and lost without his friend. And so he just kind of lays in his cave and cries. Oh, so God. I imagine that being what happens yeah. to Nick Fontaine. It's good. You know? like- like someone's gonna go to the holodeck one day expecting to see a Vic show, and there's just like a naked, belligerent Vic on the stage <laughs> yeah. doing windmills with his on cock, the stage. <laughs> throwing yeah. feces at the audience. Goes into <laughs> 80s performance art. Hollows, hollow feces. Yeah. Alternately, whenever he starts to feel ennui, he just goes and has <laughs> a Rat Pack orgy. Oh gosh. yeah, that's, that's yeah. True. He was gonna take a Nog to meet Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. Up in up in uh, Lake Tahoe. Yeah, at least that's what I assumed the Sammy suggestion was. there was. Yeah. yeah, you know he has that great speech about how if you don't get out of this, you'll be as hollow as I am. Yeah, but you know maybe it's maybe it's the pandemic talking. But I, I sort of started to wonder if that was true. Like, could you live on a holodeck theoretically 
and uh, just kind of interact with the outside world when you had to. But you, you see a little of that in I, Discovery. Right. I feel like yeah. every time you're on, Carl, I'm like, you kind of wrote this play. <laughs> but remember, um, which one was it where the the like dude in his 40s is like... Oh, oh, real. Yeah. From yeah, Human yeah, Contact. Yeah. There that you go. Yeah, the, that's... That's a really themes. great exploration of that theme. And I mean, I, I was thinking that too, like even something like, uh, what was the thing online? I'm sure it still exists. Next Life or Second Life. Second Life. Second Life. Yeah, yeah, that. Like, because basically it just feels like, especially with VR and stuff, it feels like we're not too far away from people legitimately being, you know, hooking, uh, ho- hooking up for like hours and hours and hours and spending like, Oh, you don't even need really good VR. Just as soon as WoW got big, there were people who were spending every free moment on it. Right. Like, isn't he doing, wasn't what he doing is kind of like Bitcoin mining or something? Like, he could, he could make (laughs) suspicious money out of. There we go. Yeah. Bitcoin. I guess I don't, I guess I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, but. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, all I know is like, I don't understand it. I never will, and yeah. 99% of the people who I've ever heard talk about it are some of the biggest douchebags in the world, so I'm yeah. afraid of it. Yeah, I they trust nobody. Take that. I said 99 for a very specific reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say 100, then I remember, actually, Jake told me about it once. Okay, so. but what if they make Vic Fontaine into an unfungible token? <laughs> actually, I think you could do that, right? Isn't that the point? I think so. Probably. All right, well, how many hundred thousands of dollars would you pay for Vic Fontaine to never be able to sing his stupid songs? I was going to say, if I, if, I can, if, I can, if I can buy Vic Fontaine and then delete the program. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they make reference to, you know, Nog hiding in the world of Vic Fontaine, just as the writers of Deep Space Nine are hiding in the world of Vic Fontaine <laughs> because they don't want to admit their show's about to end. Right. Aw. Mm. I mean, so I really do wonder, though, like, what are the ethics of not allowing Vic Fontaine to run forever. Cause you know, sure. You're basically th- like if, I mean, if, if he is, you know, conscious and self-aware, which he clearly is, yeah, but nobody wants to really to admit it. It does seem like, yeah, making him turn himself off when you just, when you don't want to be there seems really, uh, unethical what what are the ethics of having created vic fontaine in the first place i mean you know you've Our basically scientists were too busy asking if we could we didn't stop yeah. to think of whether we should like what happens when vic eat. is like you know what i i want to i want to start doing woodworking i don't want to sing anymore I'm, I'm getting too old for this shit like is like no no you're the singer you have to sing that's your job i like to sing about the moon and the june and the spring well, but at that point, if he decides he doesn't want to do that anymore, is that the point where you could just click the reset button and, you know, maybe... I mean, what's the ethics of clicking the reset button, right? Oh, well, well they have, click I didn't say it was great. I just said that maybe that's what you'd have to do if he started yeah, having mean, all these... They click the reset button on Worf's brother, no problem. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And he was legitimately alive and definitely a, you know... Spock a sentient and or sapient being. Spock did a partial reset when he made Kirk forget that woman he was in love with. Mm, yep. True. Yep. Well, yeah, Star Trek's ethics have never exactly been 100% anyway. Is there a TNG example? <laughs> I don't... Uh, I'm sure there is. I, that's what I was thinking with this. It's like, wow, uh, this is like... 
This is the big boy version of all the Barkley stuff they did. Yeah. Like Barkley was addicted to the holodeck as sort of like to escape from kind of his anxiety. And this is holodeck addiction to escape from everything. And but it's also like, anxiety. Well, yes, but I mean, it's a very different kind, though. No, I know, yeah. obviously. Like, I couldn't help thinking that. It's like, wow, this is, there's a bit of, there's a bit of, there's some hollow addiction going on. There's questions about AI, like, rights and sentience. Like, this is the most TNG DS9's been in years. Is it, that's the interesting question for me, though. Like, is it hollow addiction or is it treatment? Because mm. it, it, you, like, I, I believe talking about this, I bet there's like a novel out there where Vic Fontaine is an admiral. Like he has definitely taken the command uh, test at some point in the in the distant future. I like that. But, I mean, I hope yeah, so. and this is you know I, I always wish there were more sort of I wish they they had done more interesting stuff with the holodeck than they ever than they ever did. I but think this is kind of it. TNG did so much with the holodeck; they did less, yeah. so much. Yeah, but less. that that's sucked true. because they just kept doing the same thing over and over again, which was like Fang realizes it can get out and take over the ship thing. You know, yeah. and there was that and there was that time they were attacked by that Windows ninety five screensaver. That yeah. was a little different. <laughs> oh right, God. Weird. So somewhere out there in the distant future, there's a ship that's just run by the Doctor, Vic Fontaine, and all of Rios's holograms. Nice. I want to be on that ship. The, I was going to say, it's the hottest ship in the fleet. I wanted to close up my notes with the original pitch for this episode. Oh, no. Because they're always nothing at all what we actually see, to the point that the writers were like, why are we being paid for this episode? That's not what we wrote at all. <laughs> So, way back when they they pitched Starship Down seasons ago, these two guys, oh, I didn't write down their names. Sorry, guys, I didn't write down your names. But they write down this idea that's just very general. It's like, it's everybody goes to Quarks. And it's just say, like, it's just any story in which all the plot lines just take place all in Quarks, so you don't need to have any other sets. It's all Quark-oriented. People would go to Quark for their problems, and then we have, like, three different plots going on at once. Check them off the list. And they're like, mm. hmm, interesting. Not now, maybe later. So this season starts up, and they realize, hey, what if we pull that idea out from wherever the fuck we left it, and instead of Quarks, make it Vix? And they're like, yeah, we love Vic. And by we, I mean Ira Stephen Baird loves Vic. God damn it. So they say, okay, how about we have these three separate storylines? Two of them will be funny, and one of them will be serious. And they say, okay, well, we know Nog's going to lose a leg. That can be the serious one. And they're working on, on all these stories, and they realize, oh, God, the Nog one is taking over. It's just going to be Nog and Vic. That's what you guys are getting. You're getting a Nog and Vic show. Ta-da! You know, though, at least with this one, because I know we've talked about this before, we're like, sometimes you get from A to B, and you go, okay, I can see how that happened. Whereas other times they go A to B, and it's like, you, what? Yeah. That's not A to B, I, that's A to Q. What happened? There is a I missing... Wanna, I want to see the episode where Jake is dating an Orion Syndicate person. That's cool. We oh, God, I forgot about that episode. The... Yeah. The that was the original the Honor Among Thieves. Yeah. You know, we could just imagine that the that the woman he brought to the holodecks, Orion Syndicate, why not? There we go. Done. There we go. It's canon now. Like, I, I, that's, the thing is I, that, that's an interesting idea for an episode still, the Quark one. But yeah, I can see at least in this case, it's clear how they got from A to B. It's like we just switched this one thing and then the serious storyline kind of ate the other two. Yeah. And how could yeah, it not? They did good and paid the right, the original writers, even though they did absolutely nothing with this. Yeah, yeah, that's good to have those. Uh, you have those guild strikes for a reason. God damn it! True. 
I was trying to figure out whether I think Jake and Nog will continue to be friends, or if as they become adults, they will uh, lose touch. Because I, I, I really like how they are like permanent bad friends who just <laughs> yell at each other. But I have a feeling at a certain point, you know, I, I realize, you know, Jake is just plain yelling at Nog through this. Not th- just in the one, the one scene, but uh, I, I have a feeling, you know, I, I realize that they are tight, but I feel like at a certain point they'll be like, you know what? That was a, that if, was a young friendship. If the visitor is to be believed, they, they maintain contact. Okay. And that was, that was a Jake with a very <clears throat> different path. Mm-hmm. Who's you know old man vanishes and this and that. So I mean, there's there's hope. Okay. Well, they, you know they they probably will mature. I mean, they'll you know yeah they'll probably have it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is you know I mean this this has just forced a huge shift for Nog. Yeah. And that thing that that didn't happen in the visitor timeline. So who knows? You know, maybe this does in fact end up causing a schism. We don't know. That's a good question. We just don't know. That is a really good question. I'd like to think they last. I, I do too, but I feel like most friendships I had that were like that, I, I've lost touch. Yeah, and it's going to be hard because, of course, you know, Nog's going to be in Starfleet and Jake's going to be wherever it is he decides to land. Well, they can send each other postcards and shit. No, no, I yeah. know, and there's there's ways to stay in touch, but still, it's... They can play Jackbox games on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Any other any other thoughts or No, I just want to turn my air conditioner back on for a couple minutes. <laughs> That's fair. Agreed. Well, speaking of things that are really cool, hey. subscribing to make sure that you always catch a star to steer her by is the coolest thing you can do. I love you that, find... Caleb. That's great. Well You're done. so welcome. I uh, thank you, yes. Um you can find a star to steer her by on SoundCloud Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, or I mean I suppose wherever you found it this time, that works. If you're downloading us off the dark web somewhere, this is 20,000 years in the future and you're, you found us in like an old podcast dump pile somewhere. <laughs> I don't know if that'll work under like the still, you know, hundreds of copies of uh, E.T. for the Atari that still have somehow existed. <laughs> Vic, if that's where Vic you found Fontaine us. songs. Yep. If that's where you found us, keep digging. There's more. But if you're here with us in the 21st century, those other ideas that I suggested will work just fine. If, if they've can, already gotten to us, they've already been through like layers the- upon layers of McElroy's and, <laughs> you know, like we're, we're somewhere towards, you know. WTF. Oh. I just assume that they've they've listened to every other podcast. That's what I'm saying, it. yeah. This is the last one. Uh, we'd like to apologize for Joe Rogan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, but if uh, subscribing and waiting for next month, next week rather, is not enough for you, you can check us out on Facebook where you can search for us uh, by searching for a star to steer her by. You can check out articles and art and fun things that we share there. We're also on Twitter and Tumblr at SSHB Podcast, or you can visit our website at SSHBpodcast.com, and where you can find lots of good stuff. I'm trying to think, what else? What do we have there? We've got, um, you nothing know. Nothing new for a while. Nothing yeah. new for a while, but, uh, you know, we write about aesthetics and our favorite episodes and uh, fan fiction. We make fan fiction sometimes, so check that shit out. Uh, but yeah, so thanks for joining us. Uh, I have been Caitlin. Jake. This has been Chris. This has been Ames. This has been Carl. Thank you for joining us, Carl. Carl. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Anything to uh, anything you'd like to tell these folks at home about? 
Uh, check out uh, Unreliable Narrator's Stockholm, coming to the Minnesota Fringe Festival, August 2021. Visit unreliable-narrator.com for details. All right. Check oh, that out. Did you and say next week's us, episode? I, yeah, not yet, but I was just going to. Ooh. And catch us next week when we talk about Prodigal Daughter and the Emperor's New Cloak. We'll see you next week. And the air conditioner goes on. Well, hold on. Fly first. <laughs> Clap it out. Clap it out.